listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, we're really thrilled to have with us the COO of Merca, Barack David. Barack, welcome. I'd love to have you just share a little bit about you know, your background and, and how you got into gaming. Thank you very much. I'm uh, very happy to, to be here. So uh, how I get into gaming, it's uh, an interesting question. So in, uh, in the past, I was more focused on uh, the technological side. I was working in few Israeli startups, more like uh, technologically oriented. I was in the intelligence force in the IDF, which I was working more in the uh, IT sphere and the cybersecurity. And after a while, I kind of wanted to, to make a change from the technological side and also from the B2B side. And I decided to move and to start working in the B2C area and uh, to jump to the gaming. So I did a shift and I joined the Platica as a director of operation. This is after I have done many roles as CTO, chief innovation, development manager. And I was working there as a director of operation. And then I, uh, uh, I moved to Murka, where I'm a COO and uh, leading uh, the business after the Blackstone uh, acquisition uh, last year. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of your expertise kind of comes in from the technical side. And now you've shifted a little bit more into almost like the business strategy side. How do you, has that technological background really helped you as you look at like business strategies and things like that? So I can say that even when was was when I was focusing on the tech side, uh, I did more strategic roles as even as a CTO or as mm-hmm. a chief innovation, I was more affected and more uh, attracted to the business side. So I was managing my role kind of effect from the business side. So it's something that I really aim to to move to. And yes, uh, as a director of operations at Platica and currently absolutely in my current role as a COO. So it's more on the business side, crafting strategy, uh, implementing and executing a vision of a company. So yes, the technological side is helpful, but I think it's something like inside me that wanted to, <laughs> to do this shift. Yeah. And this was the main initiative to this uh, change in the career. Yeah, that's cool. Sometimes I've heard people that have like a background in code, they say, you know, even now that I've shifted over to something different, I still think of things as like chunks where I can like write my code blocks and, you know, how I'll break down the projects. Look, uh, I'm a computer engineer in my, you know, I have a degree in computer engineering. So of course that in some point, yes, you look at it at more like a mathematical approach. Uh, but uh, yes, he thinks that it's helpful, and this every knowledge is a power, and of course, it's help to to use it and to implement it on the business side. So absolutely, yeah. So I love to get to know people a little bit, like personally, on these conversations too. You know, what kind of things do you love to do? Do you have any like hobbies or things you like to do outside of work? So, yeah, so, you know, my main hobby that was, you know, ex- ex- except of sport and things like this, it was uh, 
to to do a trekking and to travel around the world. Uh, so this year it was not very successful, <laughs> but in the last uh, five years, so it's like for me it's kind of routine once a year to take uh, like you know a mochil and a tent and you know like hardcore uh, traveling <laughs> the world in places like uh, Kyrgyzstan, like uh, you know places like Bolivia, South America. Yeah. Uh, the east so really like to to leave the civilization aside and uh, how we are running after everything especially by the way in the gaming that everything every moment is online 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 yeah and to give yourself kind of peace and to to connect to the nature to give the thinking like you know uh just think in a happy a happy mind and free mind so i think it's kind of uh, great i'm very enjoyed by doing it and this year <laughs> so unfortunately it didn't happen so uh, but i hopefully next year will be more successful in this uh, in this era i love that do you have if you had to pick any place that you'd recommend people that like to to do that sort of outdoor trekking stuff like where's your top place that people should go so, look, I traveled really like in many places. The best place for me was, but it's really like you need to be a, a trekker in order to, to go there. So it was Kyrgyzstan. Mm. I was uh, traveling there for almost four weeks. And basically you're traveling with yourself, with your mochil and uh you know, uh, sleeping in a tent in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> drinking water from the river. And really like, it's it's less uh, popular right now because it's like kind of new place, I can say. Yeah. That people... <laughs> so when I traveled there, like uh, it was like two years ago, uh, I think it was one of the best places I ever uh, traveled to. So that's awesome. Definitely recommend. I, I totally agree with that. Like getting out in nature and away from distractions and things like I've noticed more and more, I, I try to put my phone and other things aside, but, uh, so I'm based in Madison, Wisconsin in the U S and there's a, uh, a pretty popular park called devil's Lake. That's about 40 minutes away from us. And it's got like a, a 10 mile track that you can kind of hike around it and you go up bluffs and stuff and it's beautiful overlooking a lake and stuff, but that's my favorite spot to go when I want to have just like a business strategy thought. So it's like, it's just me and you know, myself and I don't even get cell signal out there. So even if I wanted to, I couldn't be tempted. So I'll just go up there for a day and hike around it. It's great. Exactly. So, you know, you force yourself not to use the cell phone because you, you just can't. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's great. And uh, if you can do it around your house, so it's even, even better. Yeah. That's awesome. What about games? Do you, are you a gamer at all or do you leave that at work? So uh, I can say about myself that I'm not a gamer and I know I'm playing like, uh, you know, from time to time, but, uh, and around the world, so of course, so playing many, many games in many genres, just to examine a lot in mobile, uh, to understand the trends, uh, to understand what is happening. Um, I like more like th thinking games and war games and things like that. But uh, 
yeah, so definitely I can say that in the last uh, couple of years, so it's definitely around the games and live, living this uh, ecosystem. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I I play a lot of mobile games for like work-based stuff, but my my joy gaming doesn't happen too much anymore since I've had two little girls. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I still try to like every once a week or once every week I'll, or other week, I'll get together with some college buddies over Discord and we'll like pick some game on the computer or something and play. And so it's, that's nice. my wife calls it, it's the man's way of like hanging out instead of just doing a, a Zoom call. You <laughs> still get to talk, but you're playing games together. Do you feel those yeah. awkward silences with killing aliens or something like that? Absolutely. And, you know, I can think that the whole world is going there, you know, that uh, mutual friend that meeting for, for gaming and yeah. today everything is online. So I think it is a great, great way to spend your time and to entertain yourself. So absolutely. Yeah. What type of resources do you think the gaming community is missing out on? So I think that, you know, it's, it's a complicated question uh, because it's a growing, a fast growing industry and a lot of new talent. And I think the main driven to this, to this industry is innovation. And as the industry growing is more and more difficult to innovate. And you have this infinite, uh, um, you know, debate uh, between revenue generating and like more uh, promising games, which is like in more based area than innovative game. And it's something that uh, you need all the time to make sure that you are kind of in the middle, uh, in my opinion. So to, to innovate and to think and to out of the box and to invent the next thing that mm, nobody ever heard about. But in the same time, to, to stick to the business strategy and to the business KPIs. So if you're asking me to, to your question, yeah. So I think that the innovation is, I cannot say that it's like, you know, missing in the industry, but I think this is the driven. And as long as we are growing, it's becoming more and more difficult to invent something that nobody ever think about. Yeah. How do you guys handle that at, at Merca? You know, do you have certain teams that are just working on new innovative products and then other ones that are working on more like established? We know this is going to be a success kind of a thing. So basically, yes, uh, I can say that in Merca, in the last Merca traditionally have like four main titles that in the last five years are generating more, most of the revenue. Mm-hmm. I can say that uh, one of the first things we have done after I joining is uh, to open an accelerator division. Mm. And uh, basically it started even before I joined, but then we push it a lot like uh, to this direction that it will be kind of a, a startup inside a company that uh, create uh, more new games and will uh, create more risky games. Mm. And so we are definitely doing it. And uh, as a result this year, after many years without new games, we are going to release like we already released two games and we are going to release two more games. So we are trying to to innovate um, 
for me, it's all the time you need to keep it like in, again, in the middle. Like, <laughs> so if you are innovating from one hand, the other hand need to be a little bit more safer and more like traditional and then kind of uh, create this ecosystem of innovation and like proven record. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we opened many, many agile and small team, even on top of the accelerator that basically like 10 people team just working on some ideas and they try to make it happen. So yeah. almost the, the supercell model where they just have, you know, a ton of little teams that are always working on different game concepts. <laughs> I, I will say, I wish I could play a lot of the games that they, you know, kill before they even release yeah. because <laughs> very interesting. Exactly. And I think this is the main difficulty to understand what to release and how to push it and how much, you know, UA to do with it. And when you are deciding that it's successful or failure, this is the main and the most difficult, in my opinion, question that you need to ask yourself all the time when you are doing those kinds of processes. Yeah. So business thoughts aside, if you could make a game in a genre of your choice, you know, what game would, what game would it be and how would you make it successful? Wow. So it's, it's a difficult question. Um, I think that for me, it's like personally for me, so it's more game that involving uh, thinking and strategy and Mm -hmm. like, uh, to really like, you know, to crack something or to solve problems while you are playing, something that you really need to to put your mind at. And uh, in that way to keep it challenging and, uh, you know, that you will want every day to solve something in the game. So I think that uh, also naturally, this is the games that I'm more like uh, uh, connecting to as a player. Uh, yeah. But yes, this is something that definitely this I will go to this direction. I like it. So thinking a little bit more on the other side of, of games that are live, you know, if you could have one tool that would help your live ops that doesn't exist yet, what would it be? If I will know that, I would have implemented it. But so <laughs> I can tell you that, <laughs> that uh, uh, for us, basically, I think that the last the last changes that we are doing is to be more and more data-driven oriented and data-driven decision-making. And basically if I would have, I I will, if I will have the ability to ask each player what he likes, what it is like, and how to personal the game for him to like 100% personalization. The Tom will see one game and Barack will see game and everyone will <laughs> see the game. They, you know, the adaptation of the game that the, for them, this make the uniqueness of the play that if you like some of my content and uh, some other plays like uh, the other content. So I think that this is something that the industry is not there yet. I know that we are going to a uh, customer journey and to personalization and to like even personal pricing and everything. But if I will have the ability to know exactly what you want, to ask you what you wanted to provide you that, I think it will be the, the best tool ever, basically. Yeah, almost like letting your players like dictate. So you ask them something 
and you know they choose and then the game changes based on that and then maybe a little bit later you ask them something again and they can you know keep kind of changing and iterating the game almost like a a larian game like i don't know if you ever played divinity 2 but like mm-hmm. you know if you you make a decision like that affects everything else in your gameplay exactly exactly so to basically to provide because at the end of the day, what is gaming? It's entertainment. You need to do to have fun. Yeah. So if you can tell me what makes you happy and what makes you the most fun, so of course, if I will have the ability to provide you that and, you know, by click, so it's, uh, <laughs> you, you told me, you know, to, to fantasize. So this is, I think, the, the, the vision uh, to go to. Yeah, I saw a kind of... I think it was like it was one of the Marvel games might have been Strike Force, but like right after the first time user tutorial, they give you a little pop up that's like, uh, which Marvel hero would you like to unlock in exchange for completing chapter one or something like that? Mm-hmm. And then the player can choose that. And then that's the reward that they get at the end of it. I think it's probably to, you know, obviously drive retention because now I'm getting exactly who I want from a hero perspective, but very interesting that I saw. Yeah, you know, it's a, you love the, the option to choose. Yes, to choose between, by the way, between good and good. Yes, it's yeah. not between <laughs> good and bad content. It's to choose between two good content. So I think this is the, the best option. <laughs> Definitely. So this month on Mastering Retention, uh, we're doing something a little bit different as we're kind of spending time exploring how uh, different genres can learn from each other. So, you know, given your deep background in social casino, we are super excited to be able to have you on. Um, So I'd love to spend the next little section just kind of going into uh, just learning a little bit about some of the different features that primarily came from social casino, like how they arose, what they arose for, and how they might be applied to, you know, other genres, or maybe they shouldn't be. (laughs) And so we shouldn't spend time doing those. Um, But like, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is the, uh, the piggy bank feature. So um, do you have any background as to how like that evolved and and what is typically used for? Basically, the main use for that, like traditionally when it was invested, also in, invented, so it's uh, to convert a uh, uh, user. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a mechanism that uh, each one of us had when he, when he was a child, maybe, or something like that, uh, returning that. And uh, basically, you see it's growing and it's great kind of emotion that you are kind of want to break it in some point. And also, uh, except of the game, in the gamification of it, it need to give you a good value as like, you know, first payment or something like that. And something that will create really like, so the historically uh, evolution of it, you see it growing, it's kind of emotional for you because you remember that you was a child and so on and so on. So I think this is kind of what, it used to and uh, of course it can be used in uh, any game i think so it's like we see it also that uh, i think that both sides like casual games are copy or like taking inspiration for many social casino and vice versa and in the social casino you can see right now that there are many many casual features that basically as a meta features that help you stay and uh, retain in the game like with more like goal and not just uh, spin with a great 
slot as it will be, but really to have something, another layer of uh, excitement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next feature I've listed here, uh, what are quick tournaments? Why did those come about and what are they used for? So, you know, we can talk about, you have, you have like long retention feature, you have like kind of mid retention feature and you have like a short retention feature, okay? So if we're talking about a very quick tournament is basically to, to extend your, uh, your session in the game. If we're talking about like one session tournament or something like that is to extend your session. And for example, if your median session is 30 minutes, so you will stay this time 35 minutes or 40 because you want uh, to, to achieve this uh, quick, quick, quick result. So I think that uh, uh, it's one of the main challenges to not only like long and medium time, uh, medium term retention uh, feature, but also like immediate uh, retention and to, to extend your, uh, your session and to let you be more happy in the game while you are there and to create, you know, you need to change something. So this tournament is right now, it's right here. It's in this slot. It's in this feature. Let's, let's finish it and let's, uh, you know, stay until it's over. So it's also give you a meaning why, why to stay like this two more minutes or, mm. Yeah. And so the way that I understand quick tournaments work is that uh, all the players will compete with a specific slot machine to find out who's able to win the most money after a certain time period, like, you know, five, 15 minutes or something like that. And then after time runs out, you know, players win in-game currency and stuff uh, based on their ranking um, in the competition. So. Um, it's depend on the implementation here you also added like the the real uh, uh, social layer yes that you're competing so you want to win so you yeah. will stay and you will not like leave it in the middle and uh, also it encourages you to play more to bet more and to be more engaged because yeah. the, the nature of the human you want to win want to win yeah because, uh, yeah it's important competition you want to win because uh, it's fun and it's it's good for you, so why not? Yeah. Do you think that would translate to other genres, or would it depend only if games had, you know, certain competitive natures? Like, I feel like it, I don't know, maybe it could in a puzzle game if, like, everyone had to try the new level that nobody had done before. Look, I can say that I believe Every game is can be a, a, a little bit different implementation, but every game can be in somehow competitive. Even if you will take a simple game, it's puzzle or solitaire or whatever. Yes, you would like if there is a ranking, and if there is a ranking system or short-term ranking system, or even like you know a short tournament or like one-hour tournament or something like that, and you will be engaged. So. For sure, some of the user will less care about it because they just coming to play. They do their own like a uh, 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 kind of like one one man uh, show. They're playing with themselves. They're entertaining themselves. But some of the user, for sure, uh, it will give them a layer of competition, and they will be they will be encouraged and. It's not only for the short time retention, but it can create more engagement in your in your game 
overall because there will be more meaning to continue play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, how about progressive jackpot? What are those? So this, for example, I believe more will be hard to implement in another because it's like, you know, it's really like uh, inside the slots and it's like the most classic, uh, um, you know, implementation in the book. So I think that in this area, it's more focused on slot, but you can never know. You, you see today <laughs> like uh, uh, games that, uh, you know, like casual games that you have a slot inside or like uh, with the slot, you're generating your progress or things like that. So uh, all this combination and I think this overall, all this combination between genres, this is the, as I see the future. So mm-hmm. you have all the traditional and now you can start see like combined combine the genre so definitely you can see it in some how implement yeah so i feel like progressive jackpots as i understand them are kind of like the the lottery at least here in the u.s where you know every time somebody buys a ticket the lottery goes up the jackpot by like a dollar or something like that and so you have your like casual lottery players that will you know buy the lottery every day but then once the jackpot is like a hundred million, then you have this next wave of people that are all buying extra stuff because it keeps going up and up and everyone wants a chance to win that. Exactly. Cool. How about VIP rooms and rewards? Like I I know I've definitely seen VIPs in some RPG games, but I feel like they started in casino. Yes. As much as I know, it started, yes, in the social casino, of course, before that in real casinos and so on. But I think that it's to give your VIP players kind of better, uh, you can call it service or better uh, entertainment or better uh, environment uh, for them that will be fit for their, I don't know, their spending, their uh, uh, the engagement with the game, exclusive content, and basically here, so you have two two layers. One, if you are already in the VIP room, and uh, most of the time it's kind of uh, limited by time, you are enjoying great content, and you are more engaged, and you are very happy to be there, and you are spending more, and you are playing more, and uh, so it's... It's kind of great, and then when you are not there anymore, or when you are new players, you want you are aiming to be in the in the VIP and to be a VIP player, and then you have something that you would like to achieve. So I think it's worth work on these two layers, and of course it can be implemented. I believe in every genre. Is it depends if in your game you have enough content to put some of it as an exclusive content or a VIP content. That's, it's all about perception in the in the bottom line, yes? So if you <laughs> can take some of the content and uh, uh, put it as an exclusive content because you really have enough content to, to provide, so absolutely. Yeah. Would you say in some ways uh, the battle pass mechanic is almost like if you unlock the battle pass, you become a VIP for that game or for that season. Yes. I think that you, you can say that again, it's a lot about perception and because look, when you're not giving something like all you're giving is atmosphere and you're giving like a good 
good experience to, to your users. So as long as you can create this this great experience on each individual of each player, it's it's worth it. And definitely, yes. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. Have you found that there's certain features or content that you can hide behind VIP that best caters to people unlocking that realizing that every game and every audience is different, but like, have you found that like, so, uh, thinking about battle pass for a second, I've started playing clash of clans again. Um, Mm -hmm. and so there's a mechanic within clash of clans where you donate troops to your clan members and they also donate them to you, which you can use for like collecting stuff or doing clan battles and stuff. And so there's almost like a social pressure to donate these troops, but it's kind of a pain to have to like build those troops and it takes time. You have to remember to go to the game and donate them back. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if somebody donated them before you, then you just wasted all this time doing it. And so what clash of clans did or supercell did with their battle pass is they gave you one gem donations for these. So instead of having to take all that extra time and effort to like build the troops and then go back into the game and donate them when they're ready, you just like one gem donate, you know, all those troops and you're, you did your good social deed. And apparently like, that's a big driver. Like I buy the battle pass just so I can do that with my clan, but even people that have like maxed out content and don't need everything else, they still get it primarily for that social donation thing. So it sounds like an amazing implementation. Yes. It drives <laughs> you and gave you the drive that it's connected with your, with your goodwill. And, uh, yeah. so I, I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult question. It's ba- basically need to understand in each ecosystem, uh, in the game, what is, and you as a game producer, you know, game developer need to know what your user wants to achieve and to, to, to give them that as a, as a VIP and after an achievement, and it's not important in which shape it's coming from, as long as they are giving this exclusive and uh, let's say uh, a, a, a positive a positive environment around it. So I think it will create a good impact. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I know I've seen in some RPG games, like they'll hide some quality of life features behind it. So like once you get, let's say to VIP four, you get unlimited raid tickets. And like before that, you had to deal with like collecting these raid tickets or you'd have to do the whole thing yourself. But like once you're VIP four, it's like, oh, (laughs) this is nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Um, what about real life prizes? And, and this is something I don't think I've seen anywhere except within the, the social genre, especially like, you know, gifts or stays like back at like the hotels in, in Las Vegas or something directly. So look, uh, there are many, uh, game producer, game developers that are doing it. Um, it's a little bit, it's not only, it's changing the ecosystem and the whole economy of the game. And it's taking you from the virtual life, from the physical life to the real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely working for many of them. And you need to understand because there are two kinds. There are gaming that are doing it, but also there are kind of so-called gambling that are giving real prizes instead of real money. Mm. So there are like two uh, uh, like as options here. In my perspective, it's 
better to not better but i don't know in my experience in my ecosystem it's like if you can create excitement inside your game so it's kind of better and uh, if you have again enough content and enough interest and enough challenge so your virtual coins or your virtual uh, even collective feature or something like that will create the same excitement as a real prize so i'm not an expert on this uh, on this uh, area but uh, in my in my experience and understanding it's uh, it's good and it's easier maybe to stay on the on the virtual uh, virtual life yeah i'm i'm super interested to see how so glue and their design home game recently introduced an e-commerce store which if you buy the physical item you also get the virtual item that you can decorate your house with and stuff and i think it meshes really well with their audience and stuff so i'm super intrigued to see how it all plans out or pays plans out i should say um so really intrigued there um so those were the kind of five social features that i just picked out our social casino i should say um are there any other like notable features that you've seen kind of come up out of social casino that are worth calling out or maybe new things that are just coming up now i think that one of the most uh, let's say important in the industry is the collective uh, collective feature like kind of albums and collection and uh, I think that I can say most or, or even all the main games have like kind of seasonal collections with cards that you are collecting and to create engagement of period of one month or three months and uh, to create a, a long-term uh, engagement and long-term retention. So I think it's one of the most important uh, uh, practices that uh, exist today. So that's, I, I will definitely add it uh, to, to your list. I like that. So what do players get out of the collection mechanics? Say they collect all five cards. Is it just a matter of completing everything or do you unlock certain rewards or can it vary? So, yeah. So first of all, you are collecting and uh, so you get the progress and uh, and it's definitely enjoyable. Like you enjoy and collecting and progressing and move forward with your uh, like uh, uh, album uh, albums so this is one and second of course as a, a, every phase that you are completing you are getting a prize and in the end you have a bigger prize so it's of course layer of it also but i think that also the excitement of getting the card that you were missed or uh, finishing an album it's even can be more important than the, than the prize itself that's pretty cool. So think about live ops again a little bit. Um, you know, for your live games, what kind of process do you guys take or what kind of process do you recommend for planning a live ops calendar? You know, what type of balance of events to add in for, you know, both engagement as well as monetization? So when we are building our calendar of live ops, it's basically uh, built from few layers. So first of all, you have the layer of uh, um, product feature releases, yes? So you have your roadmap and your product, and let's say every month or twice a month, you're releasing a big feature. So this is like, first of all, the anchor that you have in your calendar. After it, you are uh, adding the slots uh, releases, which is uh, important uh, even more. 
and then you had this. And all of it is coming into calendar that based on holidays and things like that, that anyway was there. And then you're adding your live ops that will be inside it and you need all the time to, to innovate, even if you are reusing a short-term and long-term uh, live ops, you need to innovate and to change something so it will create even better excitement. And then you have the layer of uh, long-term, like albums, create, uh, starting albums, finishing albums. And the last layer is like offers, special offers, special extra, special uh, sales. So all these layers need to create a good ecosystem and good experience in the in the player. So we will have enough, let's say, free free time to play and enough uh, content, and uh, you will engage and be part of of it. So definitely. Yeah, I like that. Um, when you guys are releasing features, I've heard of this becoming more popular, but do you release them first as events to make sure that they work or do you just kind of finish the feature and release it out all the way? So we have a long process of A-B testing, AA testing. We are uh, no release. Of course, we are testing it by ourselves, but then we are uh, we are um, dividing our our players to many, many groups and we are examining and then after the first experience we are adapting and then we are doing second experience and third experience so i can say that we are kind of examining <laughs> everything yeah uh, until we are creating the perfect uh, perfect balance and perfect uh, uh, game experience and only then we are opening to 100% so it's definitely making the process longer yeah, but in the same time, it's uh, creating better experience, and uh, because it's very difficult to to change the first impressions of the users. Absolutely. And if you will create in the first time, even if you develop like few months, it's amazing feature. Yeah, and in the first time, the user will get a very bad experience. The next time, even if it will be a perfect, you did all the changes that necessary, they will not get excited. So for us, I can say that we are A-B test everything. So <laughs> even sometimes more than necessary. So <laughs> it's it's very important. And again, it's taking us to the data-driven decision-making, less what we feel is good, but more to get what we see and we get uh, support by number. but that it's really good to the players. Yeah. So do we, or I, I guess, do you wait until the feature is through all that A-B testing stuff before you put it onto the calendar? Or do you try to plan ahead and say, okay, three months from now, we'll have gone through all the A-B testing stuff and it'll be ready to go out on December 1st or whatnot? So we are trying to put it, first of all, uh, when it would be released and we'll start A-B tested. And then when we will open it like uh, to everyone, then we are doing it most of the time like gradually. But um, definitely we have a target date that sometimes becoming more flexible and sometimes less flexible uh, comparing to what we examine and what we put as a, a, as a target and the result that we see. If it's very close to what we initially thought, so it's great, but if it's worse, so it's taking more time. Sometimes. But definitely we have our dates and our targets. Cool. 
Love it. How do you incorporate your audience and community into, you know, new game content and features? So first of all, we are doing a launching in all the social media, even a little bit before we are open it. And we have our YouTube channel and we have our focus group of players that helping us understand and helping us to promote it. So uh, I can say that outside the game, for sure, we are doing a lot, a lot of work uh, in order to create a good buzz and a good like atmosphere around it. But then inside the game, uh, also you are doing this launch and you have this um, launching monetization launch plan. And basically you're creating the, the environment of anticipation that the user will be anticipated to see. You guys are doing an amazing job with it. You know, I, reflecting back on some of your like year over year growth numbers, it's just astounding how, how much you guys are just continuing to take over. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. Thank you very much. And we hope that, uh, you know, next year with our new titles and our current uh, games, we will be able to grow even more. So it's becoming harder and harder, but definitely 2020 was a very good year for us. And we grow a lot of, traditional games yeah no i i think one of the the biggest challenges comes with like user acquisition because i think we've shifted into the point where everyone has some game that they're playing on their phone now and so now it's like not only do you have to attract them to your game but you have to prove that your game is more fun than what they've already invested time and effort into so it's a, a fun challenge Absolutely. The user acquisition become harder and a lot of last, uh, you know, uh, last updated show that uh, as a users, we all have more application year by year and more games year by year. And we are spending less time in each one of the application on average. And uh, in the gaming, there are much more companies right now and much more competition. But also the market is growing. So the uh, all let's say all, all their uh, population is coming more and more engaged with the mobile, and start to be with you know from very young age to very old age. So it's growing for both sides. So the competition is growing, but also the market is growing. But definitely for all the titles and even for new, it's becoming more and more difficult to use the position. Uh, with the face also to IDFA that is going to <laughs> change the, the rules. So definitely we, we, we are not struggling, but we are working hard in this direction in order to maximize our expertise. Yeah, that's great. All right. I think we've got time for one more question and then my favorite unofficial question. Um, mm -hmm. So this one will be fun. So you mentioned that you guys are really data oriented, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I've talked to a lot of game designers and something that a lot of them kind of struggle with is feeling like the idea that if I'm being data oriented, I can't be creative because they feel like they're at odds with each other. So how do you guys navigate that when creating, you know, new content and new features? How do you manage to be creative while still being data-driven and data-focused? Uh, I smile because it's the classic question and it's the ongoing debate around this point. And uh, 
look, so I think there is no, uh, both of them, it's not, uh, con- there is no contradiction, basically. And I think that from one hand, you must be innovative and creative and so on. But then it's coming to a point which it's need to prove himself. And you must not get in love with your feature or with your product, which has happened sometimes, it's okay. But then you need your guts, which basically the creativity tells you what to create. But then the, to, to measure success or failure, you must be based on data. And if you see it's failed, you must let it go. And it's emotional and it's difficult and, you know, but uh, bottom line, it's need to show a good and positive data dynamics. And then it's take you to the point, what is good data dynamics? Because also we are all human beings and uh, we have our biases and uh, you can see in data, you can analyze data in many ways. <laughs> And you can see the data what you want to see. <laughs> and this is a very risky, uh, you know, you're smiling because uh, <laughs> you're facing something like that. And, and for sure, and it's very complicated, but you need to know the, the, the ask the right question. And you must uh, be sure that the KPIs that you are looking for are accurate and you need to set up the KPI prior to the test and what you will look in order. And I think this is the best way. So yes, it a little bit harm the creativity, but you must back up your decision with data. Otherwise you will just not succeed. You will just have a product that you personally like and that's all. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you got, you always got to be careful with your AB test and stuff. I remember one time I came up with this like feature that I was like, oh, this is going to change everything. And you know what? It, it did change everything. And in fact, from an AB perspective, it was better. But the problem is, is it lowered everyone's revenue by like 30%, but it was only like, you know, <laughs> 25% for the, the A test group. So we're like, yeah, roll that out. And then didn't have that, you know, third control group to protect us. So Learned my lesson there. It was a costly mistake, but you know, we all get to have those fun times. Absolutely. Um, cool. Well, my my last unofficial question, because we are on the Mastering Retention podcast, what's one tip or trick you've learned over the years for helping to boost a game's retention? It could be short term or long term. This is the one million dollar question. This is why you are saving it to the as the last, because I can say that retention is one of the difficult, uh, uh, difficult uh, area, especially in the social casino. And I think that one of the best way is to understand the customer, to segment each player and each user, and to give them the best environment, like economy-wise, to use your game. Uh, because you need to create a balance between the freemium model and the purchases and the ads that now is very strong. So I think is to, to understand and to analyze your player as soon as possible, like in the immediate way, basically, and then to provide him the care of the complexity care uh, that is fit to him and not be too greedy as a, as a game developer and to give them 
to entertain and to, to open it and to have a lot of content for free and basically to give a good content. And uh, I think this is the, to find this balanced spot, this balanced point, this will be, uh, this what will help the retention grow. And we are doing it again, A-B testing. We are testing every day, like different complexity curve and things like that. And we see it's, it's helping. And when you are know to identify the, the players like in a good good way, you will see a good uh, a good result. That's awesome. I love it. Well, Barack, thank you so much for all your thoughts and insights today. This has been amazing, and I hope that we'll be able to talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, and hope uh, you enjoy. Yeah, this is great. All right, thanks. Thank you very much.